Welcome to Bible Study with Jairus, brought to you by Jairus Bible World Ministries. Do not be afraid, only believe. Brother Jairus leads a Bible study group in Chinese every week, and the Holy Spirit often speaks to people during these meetings. We felt compelled to share some of the revelations we received from the Holy Spirit, and we hope these studies will reach and benefit more listeners. All scripture is quoted from the English Standard Version, unless otherwise noted. Thank you for joining us. Bible Study with Jairus, 1 Corinthians 12 Spiritual Gifts The Loving Gift of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Spiritual gifts express the unified loving work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 is the only chapter in the Bible that gives this many details about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul's mention of the gift supports and expounds on the theme of 1 Corinthians, love and unity. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been addressing many reasons for division, dealing with each of these problems one by one. Paul wants to address the lack of unity and bring love and oneness back to the church. Neither factions, differences in belief, or differences in gifts should keep believers from unity and love. Paul tries to make it clear that love and unity are the only solutions to strife. As he does so, Paul demonstrates that spiritual gifts are the joint work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity works together in love and unity, setting an example for the believers. We should balance our pursuit of gifts with our desire for unity. How does the theme of spiritual gifts fit into the context? Why is it positioned directly between the passage on head coverings and the Lord's Supper and the passage about Christ's body in chapter 12? The discussion of spiritual gifts and the metaphor of Christ's body all relate to the theme of unity. Let's remember that the theme of 1 Corinthians is love and unity. Paul knows that many topics threaten the unity of the church, whether or not to eat meat, how to understand sexual morality, how to avoid classism at the Lord's Supper, factions, and attitudes towards spiritual gifts. Each of these issues has caused disagreement among the believers. Paul tackles these problems one at a time. He wants believers to bear with one another and be united in love, whether they eat meat or not, whether married or not, whether they eat the Lord's Supper together or not. His top priority was to keep others from stumbling. In the same way, this chapter continues Paul's train of thought. No matter how different our gifts are, it shouldn't be an excuse for a disagreement. Although our gifts are different, we are still members of the same body and we need to live in unity. The book of Romans contains Paul's systematic thinking on theology, demonstrating his theologian side. Meanwhile, 1 Corinthians is Paul's pastoral letter to the church, showing his pastoral heart. Although Paul talks about different issues in 1 Corinthians, they are not random. First, he talks about factions, Paul appeals to the believers, asking them not to be puffed up in favor of one against the other, 1 Corinthians 4, 6. He wants them to remember that every gift we have is from God, so that we have nothing to boast about, 
1 Corinthians 4.7. Morality. Chapter 5 deals with sexual morality. Even sexual morality can lead to division. Some believe in sexual license and others want to completely abstain. Chapter 7. The Corinthian believers were having disagreements about this issue. Lawsuits. Chapter 6 deals with lawsuits among believers, the day-to-day disagreements that fester among Christians. Paul calls the believers to settle their disputes, 1 Corinthians 6.5. Food sacrifice to idols. In chapter 8, Paul talks about eating food sacrificed to idols. He says, We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do, 1 Corinthians 8.8. 8. If food makes others stumble, Paul said he would never again eat meat. 1 Corinthians 8.13 Food should not be the cause of division. Instead, we should consider the feelings of others and try to live in love and unity. Head coverings In 1 Corinthians 11, the discussion of head coverings and the Lord's Supper shows that we should consider the feelings of others and not humiliate them if they are poor. Instead of honoring the Lord at communion, one goes hungry and another gets drunk. 1 Corinthians 11.21 This not only dishonors the Lord, but destroys the spirit of unity and love. Chapter 12's discussion of spiritual gifts follows logically in the same pattern. It continues the discussion of love and unity. Since different attitudes towards spiritual gifts have led to division within the church, Paul needed to expound the truth about spiritual gifts to bring believers into oneness. This theme continues in the following chapters. Chapter 13's beautiful description of love forms a centerpiece between many topics of disunity. In chapter 14, Paul continues to deal with the disunity caused by the practice of speaking in tongues and prophecy. He shows the believers how to embody love and unity in these situations. Paul was not against eating meat, but in order to keep others from stumbling, he did not eat meat. Paul was also not against speaking in tongues, but in order not to keep others from stumbling, he would rather not speak in tongues in church meetings. 1 Corinthians 14.19 As a side note, many people have misunderstood Paul's intention in this passage. They think he's against speaking in tongues. Actually, he's not. He is temporarily giving up speaking in tongues in meetings for the sake of unity. But in private, he speaks in tongues more than everyone else, 1 Corinthians 14.18. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about the resurrected Christ, and in 1 Corinthians 16, he gives some final exhortations to the Corinthian church. From beginning to end, Paul was helping the Corinthian believers break free from division and embrace a spirit of love and unity. When we fail to notice Paul's themes of love and unity in 1 Corinthians, this discussion of spiritual gifts may seem unexpected. However, it's not at all unexpected for him to talk about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. The entire book follows a consistent theme. He is dealing with each specific problem that leads to disunity among believers. In order for the Corinthian believers to bear with each other and maintain unity in love, 
Paul needs to deal with every problem that's causing disunity. After talking about spiritual gifts, Paul appeals to the metaphor of the body. He uses the example of the human body to show that although we have different gifts, we are still important members of the body of Christ. Just as the body has many parts but is one body, the church has many gifts but must live in unity. No spiritual gift has caused as much division in the church as the gift of tongues and the word of knowledge. Let's look at these two topics as we learn about division, love, and unity. Then, let's examine the ways that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together in love and unity in the area of spiritual gifts. As believers, let's imitate the example of the triune God, living in love and unity as we exercise our unique spiritual gifts. Some charismatic teachers teach that the gift of speaking and interpreting in tongues is different than praying in tongues. 1 Corinthians 12.10 What's the difference between the two? One is the prayer language received from God, which allows you to utter mysteries to God after being baptized by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14.2 But 1 Corinthians 12.10 says that to one person is given various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. In addition, 1 Corinthians 12.30 says, Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues is considered a miraculous gift or a special office in the church. For example, I was baptized by the Holy Spirit in 2015 and started speaking in tongues. Since praying in tongues can build up believers, 1 Corinthians 14.4, in their faith, Jude 1.20, I continue to pray in tongues every day. But I've never had the gift or office of speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues in church. A few years ago, when I attended a prophetic meeting, an American lady prophesied to me that one day I would be able to see angels and understand people who are speaking in tongues. If God led me to minister in churches where people were speaking in tongues, I would be able to understand the messages that were spoken in tongues and use this knowledge to understand what the Holy Spirit had to say about these churches. As expected, not long after, I began to see angels in prophetic dreams. But so far, I have never understood what others were saying when they were speaking in tongues. If I can actually understand them one day, it will be a miraculous gift. I'm still waiting for God to activate this spiritual gift in me. Brother Witness Lee of the local church movement once learned to speak in tongues for two years. But later, Watchman Nee sent him a telegram quoting the verse that says, Do all speak in tongues? The purpose of the message was to oppose Brother Witness Lee's continued pursuit of spiritual gifts. Later, Brother Witness Lee gave up spiritual gifts and became opposed to them. Based on my explanation above, Watchman Nee may have confused the prayer language of believers praying in tongues with the gift and office of speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. Not everyone has the gift and office of speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. But every believer can have the prayer language of speaking in tongues. Many Christians, misunderstanding Paul's words, are opposed to the practice of building oneself up 
through praying in tongues. This is wrong. Brother Witness Lee may not have been able to enter into the real experience of praying in tongues when he was learning about spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues. Thus, he became opposed to both. This is a real pity. The recovery version's interpretation of the word of wisdom and word of knowledge given in the footnotes is very different from the interpretation of the charismatics. Personally, I'm leading toward accepting the interpretation of the charismatics. The footnotes on the recovery version says, According to the context of this book, the word of wisdom is the word concerning Christ as the deeper things of God, predestined by God to be our portion. 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and 30, chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. The word of knowledge is the word that imparts a general knowledge of things concerning God and the Lord. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 7. The word of wisdom is mainly out of our spirit through revelation. The word of knowledge is mainly out of our understanding through teachings. The former is deeper than the latter. However, both of these, not speaking in tongues, not any other miraculous gift, are listed as the first gifts and the topmost manifestations of the Spirit, because both are the most profitable ministries or services for the edification of the saints and the building up of the church to carry out God's operation. In the Pentecostal movement, the miraculous information a believer receives is called the word of knowledge. For example, the Lord Jesus knew that the Samaritan woman had five husbands, John 4.18, and that Nathanael was under a fig tree, John 1.50. He also knew Zacchaeus' name without anyone telling him, Luke 19.5. Some say this is because he is the Lord, so he knows everything. This explanation is untenable. Many people in the Pentecostal movement also have this gift. They call it the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is often used in conjunction with prophecy and healing. For example, I was prophesying in a meeting while I was studying prophecy. A man came to me to receive prayer. Suddenly, I saw a picture in my head. In the vision, he was beating a drum. I asked him if he had a career in music. He said yes. And I asked him again if he was a drummer. He said yes. I boldly prophesied to him that God would bless his music ministry. A woman who was traveling with him immediately fell to the ground and cried. The man said, You really can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Later, I found out that their worship team had encountered some difficulties while serving in their church. This was why they came to receive prayer. My words encouraged them. Such knowledge is often referred to as the word of knowledge in the Pentecostal movement. Brother Witness Lee also described a similar experience in his writings. He unknowingly said in a meeting, Someone stole a chalk and used it to draw circles on the ground. The brother who had done this immediately repented and received salvation. These examples are often referred to as the word of knowledge in the Pentecostal movement. What is the word of wisdom? Usually, it refers to the word of wisdom received from God under very difficult circumstances to resolve specific problems. For example, when two prostitutes were fighting over a child, 
King Solomon received the word of wisdom to divide the child in two, so that each woman would receive half. As a result, the real mother was distinguished from the fake. 1 Kings 3 Many similar examples happened to the Lord Jesus. For example, a woman who was caught in adultery by the scribes and Pharisees was brought to Jesus. They wanted to test Jesus and look for a reason to accuse him. If Jesus said not to stone her, he would violate the law of Moses. If Jesus said to stone her, it would mean he would kill and show no mercy. Jesus received a word of wisdom. He said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. John 8, 7. At this point, the accusers left. This word of wisdom resolved the crisis. Brother Witness Lee had a similar experience. When he was caught by the Japanese military police, they knew that he often mentioned the word revival in meetings. For this reason, they thought he was related to the Revolutionary Party and hoped to get some information from him. Brother Witness Lee prayed that God would give him wisdom. During the interrogation, he told the Japanese that the revival he was talking about was the spiritual revival of the church and had nothing to do with politics. The Japanese military police picked up a Bible that Witness Lee had given him and said, Show me the word revival in the Bible. Witness Lee opened the Bible to a random page, and the page he opened happened to be Habakkuk 3.2, which says, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. The Japanese military police were surprised and released him. According to the beliefs of the Pentecostal movement, God gave him a word of wisdom in that moment. Let's look again at the footnotes of the recovery version. The word of wisdom is the word concerning Christ as the deeper things of God, predestined by God to be our portion. The word of knowledge is the word that imparts a general knowledge of things concerning God and the Lord. The word of wisdom is mainly out of our spirit through revelation. The word of knowledge is mainly out of our understanding through teachings. I personally think this footnote's interpretation of the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge is wrong, or at least biased. The reason for this comes from a lack of knowledge and experience in the gift of the Holy Spirit. This footnote attempts to explain these concepts within the scope of preaching and mental understanding, neglecting the fact that these words of wisdom and knowledge are miraculous gifts. When we lack knowledge and experience of a miraculous gift, we limit our understanding of biblical knowledge or gifts, leading us to wrong conclusions and interpretations. Many people, including Pastor Stephen Tang, are against treating the word of knowledge as a miraculous message, especially when it involves healing from a certain disease. He also believes that when a person preaches the word of God with great power, the knowledge and wisdom they are filled with are the words of wisdom and knowledge. But I personally think that Pastor Stephen Tang also lacks the experiential knowledge of spiritual gifts. So he explains these concepts mentally and rationally. I have personally observed many times that God has used the word of knowledge to heal the sick, make prophecies, etc. For this reason, I lean more towards accepting the explanation that this is a miraculous gift 
that releases a miraculous message from God. The two examples I gave, speaking in tongues and the word of knowledge, illustrate a common source of division. There are different understandings of spiritual gifts in the modern church, which lead to divisions in the church. The Corinthian believers must have also struggled with different understandings or even disagreements over spiritual gifts. Each of them had different gifts, and they were struggling with unity. This is why Paul clarifies the topic of spiritual gifts. He wants the believers to transcend their differences. Even though they each had different spiritual gifts and different understandings of the concept of spiritual gifts, they should work to achieve oneness in love. Verse 1 of this chapter mentions that Paul does not want the believers in Corinth to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. In verse 4, he mentions spiritual gifts. Between these verses, he inserts two verses about the Holy Spirit and idolatry. What do these verses mean? Let's read them. When you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. Verses 2 and 3. Why are these two verses inserted here? My guess is that some magical powers come from evil spirits. For example, the Bible records that people were amazed by Simon, who practiced magic, Acts 8-9. Perhaps some Corinthian believers were against spiritual gifts because it reminded them of magic. For example, many traditional American churches today are against meditation prayers and the gift of prophecy because the New Age movement contains meditation, fortune-telling, and divination. Similarly, this may have been one of the arguments Paul was dealing with among the believers. Paul made it clear that the gifts he was talking about were from the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. He further clarifies in verse 4 that although gifts come from the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus and the Heavenly Father also share in the process of bestowing gifts. Verses 4 through 6 say, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The Holy Spirit has given us different gifts. The Lord has given us different kinds of service. The Father has given us different activities. The three operate in unity to finish God's work. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together in love. How can we understand this? I'll give an example. My ministry, Jairus Bible World Ministries, is a call from God. The Lord appeared to me and called me to take part in this ministry. My calling was mainly to preach God's word and make his words come alive. When the Lord appeared to me, he told me that he would use me greatly. The Holy Spirit also gave me gifts in the form of dreams. One day, I dreamed that I got a Bible from heaven that was as sweet as bread. While I am teaching his word, I have found that the Holy Spirit often gives me the gift of understanding God's words and being an eloquent speaker. When I use this gift and release the illumination of God's Word, I'm empowered by God the Father. 
The result of using these gifts is to glorify God the Father, because all things are of Him. This gift is not just bestowed on me by the Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Father are also taking part in it at the same time. The Holy Spirit bestows a gift on me, and the Lord Jesus perfects it. The gift of the Holy Spirit helps me accomplish the ministry Jesus called me to do, and the good work in my heart and in the ministry all come from the Father. As Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work in unity. The modern church has differing views of gifts. These differences of opinion can lead to church divisions. Some people think that spiritual gifts are not from God, or that they are small things that he does not care about. Paul corrects this wrong view in verses 2 through 3. He says that spiritual gifts come from the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in giving us gifts and ministries, as well as empowering our activities. In addition, the Corinthian believers may have thought that their gifts were superior or inferior to those of others, resulting in competition. Paul explains that we have different gifts, but they are all given to us by the same Spirit. We have different types of service, but we all serve the same Lord. Our activities are different, but it is the same God who empowers them all. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are working together in unity to empower these activities, services, and gifts. In the same way, we must respect each other's gifts, which are given by the Holy Spirit, ministries given by the Lord Jesus, and activities given by the Father. We must learn from the example of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are working together in love and unity. Paul takes this opportunity to make it clear that although our gifts are different, they should not bring division. Rather, they should bring unity. Today's church not only has differing opinions about spiritual gifts, but it also disagrees about politics and COVID-19 vaccines. The division in the church today is even more serious than that of the Corinthian church. Is there any way out of these divisions? Paul points the way in 1 Corinthians, unity and love. There are different kinds of disagreements in the church, and unity and love are the only way out. Paul's words of wisdom are as applicable today as when they were first written. No matter how many disagreements the church faces, there is only one answer, and that is to bear with each other in unity and love. This approach worked in the Corinthian church, and it should work in the church today. Are our spiritual eyes open to see the way Paul has laid out? Will we choose to live according to the flesh, or will we imitate Paul as he followed Christ's example of unity and love? If this article blessed you, please consider supporting us. We have a lot of materials that need to be translated and recorded. Brother Jairus is doing this on a volunteer basis, but we still need to pay for translation and recording. Jairus Bible World Ministries is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we can provide tax-exempt receipts for your records. You can visit our website, www gyrusbibleworld.com to donate online or send a check 
to P.O. Box 1643, Ellicott City, Maryland, 21041. Please make checks payable to Gyrus Bible World Incorporated. You can also donate via PayPal. Our PayPal email address is info at gyrusbibleworld.com. We greatly appreciate your support. Music, Acoustic Guitar One by Audionautics is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license.